Good evening and welcome to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York, where we focus on the big issues in city, state and national politics. I'm your co-host, Jeff Simmons, and each week we bring you discussions that are dominating the debate from our local elections to policy discussions to the latest out of Albany and Washington, D.C. and even abroad. And as always, I am joined by my intrepid co-host, the stellar Celeste Katz-Marston. Celeste, how are you doing today? Doing well, Jeff. Pleasure to be here with you today and every week, of course, here on WBAI. What has been on your mind? I mean, you and I have not connected today, so I'm curious what news stories you've been following because, you know, you and I sometimes diverge and sometimes it's completely different. I got to tell you, I've been looking at the balloon story, the Chinese spy balloon story, and that was a pretty heated hearing that had like actual shouting uh, in the Senate today. Tester getting pretty upset. Uh, Murkowski from Alaska getting extremely upset. Like, why is this happening? Why wasn't something more done? And, and just, you know, real feelings there. And it is a, it is a weird story, but it, it's also a disturbing story, Jeff. Yeah, disturbing. I mean, I have not followed it as closely today as you had, but I had seen one headline that basically could, what, spy on communications, if I had heard that correctly? Yeah. I mean, at first the thing was, oh, it's just this civilian like weather balloon that sort of drifted off course. And of course, you know, the thing has uh, now been disabled, knocked out. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem to stand to reason that uh, – they would use a balloon like this to do any serious kind of surveillance, right? There are satellites. Everybody has satellite technology that can do this. You don't need to actually float a balloon like something that, you know, a string broke from a kid's party and all of a sudden there's a balloon flying around the country, right? There's no need for this to happen, which makes it sort of even extra bizarre, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, uh, that it's just it's going to be a story that uh, I'll say keeps giving to reporters because I'm sure there'll be new revelations every single day. What I've been following, Celeste, unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's now above, what, 20,000 people who were killed in the powerful earthquake just a few days ago in Syria and Turkey. And they're saying it could be hundreds of thousands of other people as well who are now left homeless as a result of this. Uh, one organization I've been, I'll be starting work with soon. Actually, we were on the phone and they were talking with me about the desperate need to be able to contact people and find out how their relatives or and family members and friends were doing. I even had just seen a story that one family from here in Queens, uh, who had been in, uh, Syria at the time was, uh, discovered deceased as a result of the earthquake. It's, it's just an incredible, devastating tragedy. It, it really is. And I have to say, on a personal note, although my own situation does not compare to this, there was a major, major earthquake in Turkey in 1999 that I believe caused the death of something like 17,000 people. I was in that earthquake. I was in Turkey at the time. And just the experience of being woken up, it was something like three o'clock in the morning. We were sleeping. We had been there for one day. I was there with a few friends of mine um, that I had gone to school with. And just the, uh, just the, uh, the roaring sound, that horrible roaring sound, the chandelier coming out of the ceiling, people running out into the street. And then there was like, um, you know, there was no power. There was no running water for a while. The entire country went into mourning. It, it was it was a terrifying experience. And I just my heart absolutely, absolutely goes out to the people who are living through this right now, Jeff. Yeah, I know. And I mean, here at home also, lots of news. Another sad moment today, I'm sure. 
uh, especially our New Yorkers have followed the case of the NYPD officer, Adid Fayez, who'd been fatally shot in the head during a botched robbery just this past weekend. He was a five-year veteran. He was laid to rest today in a ceremony. Uh, may, the mayor was there. The officer and his brother, by the way, brother-in-law, excuse me, were in East New York. They were trying to buy a car that they saw for sale on Facebook when the alleged seller, Randy Jones, pulled a gun on them and a struggle ensued and Fayez was shot. Apparently hundreds of officers were at the funeral when it took place earlier today. The other thing in the news that I've been following, Celeste, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this today because it'll be a topic that comes up on Sunday when mm-hmm. I'm back here on WBAI. There was this amazing report out of the Associated Press, and it was done with Stanford University, and it found that an astounding 240,000 students across 21 states uh, were absent and could not be accounted for during this school year. It's an amazing number, and there's a big impact here in New York City, Celeste. Right. Absolutely. And and I'm looking forward to hearing that because I know we've had some great conversations with the chancellor before, and it's always a pleasure to have him here on the station. So with that, let's get to today's guest. There's been a lot of hearings in the wake of Governor Holko releasing her budget, her $227 billion state budget plan that came out on February 1st. A number of hearings have been happening up in Albany. So that brings us to today's guest, Jano Lieber, who is confirmed to lead the MTA in January of last year. Now, he had been serving as the MTA's acting chair and CEO since July of 2021. And he is the authority's 15th chair since it was founded in 1968. And he also, by the way, heads the MTA board of directors, senior leadership team, and a total workforce of more than 60,000 employees. He joins us today to discuss the state of our transit system. And in a short while, he's agreed to take a few listener phone calls. But do not call this number yet. Just hold on to it for now. In about 10 minutes, we'll open up the phone lines and take a few of those calls. And that number is 212 209-2877. Once again, that number is 212-209-2877. So with that, let's bring him on, Jano Lieber. Welcome back to Driving Forces. Good to be with you, Jeff. Okay, it's just been, I'm going to start with a very softball question, but it's on my mind because, you know, we you testified up in Albany, very dire state of straits you talked about with the budget, but you just hit your one-year anniversary at the helm of the MTA. So how has this past year been for you? Uh, listen, we are firing on all cylinders. The MTA is all about supporting New York and coming back from the pandemic, and I, I think we're we're crushing it. And here are the key reasons. Obviously, we have the huge financial problem, but that's because of work from home. The things that we control, service, best on time, this January, best on time performance in 10 years on the subway, 2022, best on time performance ever on the Long Island Railroad and Metro North, which is 97 and 96% respectively. Ridership up 50% in, you know, since I, I got the, the nod from the Senate. Um, safety problem, which we were all very conscious of in the uh, in the fall, especially on subways and the sense of safety and the reality of safety. We've dialed crime back by 30 percent. And in fact, all, you know, whenever there is a crime, more than half of the people are being apprehended on the spot by the cops. Um, and we're you know, we're knocking out all the big. Uh, capital projects, Jeff, you and I worked on the rebuilding of downtown uh, together. 
Um, you know, these are, you know, historic projects not unlike the World Trade Center and, you know, not just Grand Central Madison and the third track project and fixing the L train and redoing the Times Square shuttle during COVID, but they're all getting done on time and under budget, which is new for the MTA. So we're, we're very, pr- I'm very proud of what this agency has done and is doing uh, in the last year. Obviously, it's a ton of people who are, you know, contribute to it. It's definitely not just because I get to sit on the 20th floor, but we are making progress. Mr. Chairman, it's great to have you back here on the program. Always glad to uh, hear from you and uh, wanted to ask you, you know, big picture, looking at the, the new state budget, the governor's spending plan, does that help the MTA at all, considering you know the agency is facing these major shortfalls, $2 billion deficit in 24, $3 billion uh, if things stayed the same in 26? Uh, what is this plan going to do for you? Um, it, you know, I said the day that it was released that I was walking on air because the governor stepped up with a plan to fix the fiscal cliff, to make sure we didn't head over the fiscal cliff at the MTA. We have, as you said, a $2 billion budget deficit that is the result of the fact that uh, some people are working from home. They're working remotely. It's not a bad thing, and it's mostly the white-collar industries we all know. But the result is our ridership is only about two-thirds of what it was before COVID, and that has blown a hole in the budget. The governor's plan fixes that deficit. And you know what? It makes sense because, um, you know, New York couldn't be New York without the MTA. And it's not that's not a, you know, a a, a state and an assertion of primacy. It's actually the reality because of our density, there just ain't enough room on the streets if we were a car city. So you got to fund the MTA. It's essential to our economy. And the governor stepped up with a plan that does just that. And in, in, it, 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 um, it, among other things, assigns to the MTA the preponderance of future casino revenues. That gives us real security for the long term because that's the next big revenue source for state government. We're talking to General Lieber, the CEO and chairman of the MTA. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York. And Mr. Chairman, looking ahead, I mean, it's great that we can fill these gaps with this budget and and that we're planning ahead. But as you look ahead, are we going to see a fundamentally different MTA? We have some companies saying, "Okay, return to office, stop working from home or at least spend some of your time in the office. But some companies are not saying that some companies are staying either fully or mostly remote. Are we looking at just a different mass transit system for New York City going ahead in, say, the next five years? You know, Celeste, I don't think so, because my what I have said to people is I don't want to cut service for the overwhelming majority of working class and low income New Yorkers, many from black and brown communities who are traveling distance mostly because they got to show up to work and they can't afford a $50 Uber um, because white collar workers in Manhattan are, you know, taking a city bike or working from home or, you know, dialing in from Aspen. Um, that's not what I want to do. We want to maintain the same level of service. And it's been a high quality of service um, as of late. We, we, as I said, January was the best January in terms of on-time performance in the subways, 85% in 10 years. So we don't want to cut service. We want to 
maintain or maybe even grow service. We are actually growing service on the Long Island Railroad thanks to that new system we have, which we call Grand Central Madison. We have a second route under the East River and a lot more terminal capacity because we now have a Long Island Railroad terminal at Grand Central. And the route is we're going to give a lot more service, not just to Long Island, but also to Queens. So the people who live in far out Queens can cut their commutes in half, and we're going to give them a discount ticket, and we're going to make the Long Island Railroad maybe work a little better for New York City residents as well as Long Island. So, Mr. Chairman, you mentioned about, you know, increasing service. One of the things that advocates are pushing for is what they call the fix the MTA package, freezing fares, increasing service during off-peak. Your thoughts on this plan and how realistic, for anyone who's listening who takes the subways or, or buses, how realistic is a potential fare increase within the next few years? Well, number one, as a head of the MTA, I love it when people talk about increasing service. Uh, I said that at the hearing. I love it. Um, we do have to focus first on getting the money to maintain the existing level of service, which is pretty good, but I'm never going to talk against increasing service. I, I was asked how I would propose to increase service. What would be my priority? I said in the evening, after the peak, the evening rush hour up to 10 o'clock is an area, is a time, um, and even later on the weekends when I think um, we could see, you know, we that would be justification for, for growing frequencies. And likewise, on the weekends itself, you know, we're at, you know, 80% usually on the weekends relative to pre-COVID because people have somewhere they want to go as opposed to the weekdays when a lot of people are not going to the office like the old days. So um, we love weekend service and so on. Sometimes folks are talking about, you know, you hear people talking about and their supporters of transit, so I love them about having six-minute service, um, much using that as a benchmark in all lines and most of the day. I think that is hard to achieve because we don't have enough trains, and frankly, we need, we need uh, sometimes to be able to fix the system and do maintenance and all that. But I love the idea of more trains and more buses and more travel. We're going to open the phone lines. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Our guest right now is MTA CEO and Chairman Jano Lieber. And Mr. Chairman wanted to ask you, you know, what have we learned and, and what are we putting in from what we have learned uh, from the pandemic? Maybe areas where ridership is lower, times when ridership is lower. Uh, are we going to fundamentally change anything about the MTA uh, as we look ahead based on the actual data? It's a very, it's a very good question. Um, one is, that we got to figure out how to make buses faster because during the pandemic, so much of especially, you know, lower and moderate income communities travel was dependent on the bus system. And as people are coming less to, you know, uh, a traditional commute in and out of the central business district, maybe because of work from home and so on, more of their travel proportionally is in the neighborhood. And the bus system is what provides that, that mobility. And right now, buses are moving too slowly because people are in the bus lane and there's too much traffic congestion. And we need to figure out how to make buses faster. It's not just more buses. It's that buses can't move um, in our street system right now because it just can't get around. 
Um, that is the reason why congestion pricing is under consideration in the Manhattan Central Business District because literally ambulances are not getting to hospitals and fire trucks can't get to fires. So um, that's one learning. The other is that the, the subway system, to a great extent, has to serve um, the uh, moderate and low-income communities, which are, tend to be more in the boroughs. The problem is it's hard to cut service to Manhattanites, even if they're riding less, because it's the same line that people ride in from Brooklyn, Queens, Bronx, and so on, and upper Manhattan. So um, it's hard to cut subway service without hurting the people who are totally reliant on it for their their, their become. But we are redesigning. Coming back to bus, we're redesigning the bus networks in all of the boroughs one by one to try to make it faster to move around by buses, even if they're not express buses, local buses uh, and, and buses that take you to uh, trains and commuter rail stations. If you just tuned in, we're talking with Jenna Lieber, chair and CEO of the MTA. The number to call only for a few more minutes, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. There's so much more we could talk about, but I do know you just announced, you had a very positive announcement regarding the uh the uh, Grand Service of the Grand Central Madison that I don't know if a lot of our listeners know about that yet, but at the same, and when you just mentioned that, but at the same time, there's something in the governor's proposal that would also impact Long Island listeners that they may find difficult to digest. She proposed an increase in the payroll mobility tax so riders from Long Island could pay a bit more in the wake of opening this third track at Grand Central Station. Can you just bring up, up to date, us up to date on those two elements? Sure. Well, the, what you described, the payroll mobility tax, the PMT, is not a tax on individuals. It's a tax on businesses that is dedicated to the MTA. And, in fact, it's only – what the governor proposed would only touch large businesses, businesses um, that had payrolls in excess of almost $2 million a year. So, actually, it's not directed at Long Island. In fact, Eighty percent of that increment that the governor proposed on the business tax uh, for the MTA would be paid by New York City businesses. And in a man bites dog moment, it was actually endorsed by the head of the New York City Partnership, who you know, Jeff, Kathy Wild, who said yeah, it was a yeah. reasonable way to fund the MTA. So the company, the, the trade association of the companies who are, would get hit with this extra tax is actually endorsing it. And um so it, it is, I think, a very fair way to do it. As I always say, if your your companies are letting their employees understandably come in one, two, three days a week instead of five days, but they want our service to be their frequent and reliable five days a week, we need a little help from the business community to cover that extra cost, as well as from other sources. We're asking, you know, we're asking the city to help contribute. We're the MTA is cutting uh, without reducing service by $400 million. So it's a balanced plan that Governor Hochul has put on the table. And, Mr. Chairman, I know you're tight on time. So before we let you go, one more question. We know that uh, the MTA, the state, the NYPD have been doing a lot of work to try to improve safety in the subway. Do you have any sense of whether people now perceive the trains to be safer, whether they feel more comfortable being in the system? Um, Celeste, I don't know whether that's a softball question or not, but that, that w- the news is very positive on that front. Since, since we started with the governor 
uh, and the mayor called their COPS Cameras and Care Program, which, which brought more NYPD officers into the subway system, but also an expansion of our camera programs and also more outreach for um, folks who are struggling with severe mental illness in the public space. But since then, we have had a, a dramatic improvement in what a customer satisfaction. So you get pe- people saying, I feel safe. Uh, uh, almost 60% of people said, I feel safe or very safe in the subway system in uh, uh, December as opposed to October when it was only 40%. So dramatic improvement. And in fact, people, a significant percentage are actually saying, I directly feel safer because of that program. Now, in addition to putting more cops there, we're also announcing that folks, that there are NYPD officers on the platform and in the system. And the result is whenever there's something bad, and there are like three to seven crimes a day, major crimes a day in this, in our subway system, which has three and a half to four million riders, and ha- more than half of those episodes result in a in the perpetrator being apprehended, partly because we're letting everybody know where the cops are so they can get help. It's working, I think, very, very well. Great. I wish we had more time, and I wish you had more time, but we will certainly uh, look forward to having you back again here on Driving Forces. Uh, Chairman John Lieber, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the MTA. Thank you. If you're just tuning in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. We did have the lines open. We ran out of time, though. Next time, call faster. We definitely want to hear from you. We may be able to take some more of your your calls later in the program. Yep, that's what I was just going to jump in and say. Later on in the program, we are going to have those phone lines open, probably starting at about 540 today. One thing, though, Celeste, with that last question you asked, I, I see Which this almost every day when I'm on this. No, no, no. <laughs> you asked the right question because I also see I've been seeing a greater police presence on the subways, um, I, you know, and I've actually seen some encounters that have actually been relatively positive and uh and harmless, uh, you know, uh, between uh, interactions between members of the NYPD and people who have been camping out on the subways. And I've kind of studied them because of some of the outrageous videos we have seen in the past, um, you know, including right. that one officer who recently got sanctioned for this. Um, and these have been actually positive interactions. Now, I'm not saying that is happening everywhere, but just I'm with, witnessing a stronger police presence on a lot of our subways these days. Right. And look, it's it's not that they're not changing the approach, whether it's uh, being more visible, uh, being more uh, proactive about dealing with certain situations. But, you know, generally in these things and in life, you know, the, the shift in perception takes some time to catch up with whatever the activity is, good or bad good or bad. So that was kind yeah. of where I was going with that. You know, you, you put in the measures and it's not sort of an immediate snap to a whole different view of, oh, the trains are safe now. Great. Yeah, no, think about it. I mean, I'm liking it to test scores and something gets implemented. You know this well covering city government. Uh, you know, something gets implemented in the Department of Education, test scores rise a few years later, and it's not just because of what just took place then, but something that was put in place, you know, several years earlier. So I know we're going to have to take a short break, but before we do, we do want to take a, just a few moments to remind our listeners that you're listening to Free Speech Radio. WBAI has been around for close to six and a half decades now, um, much longer than Celeste has been around. 
And throughout, go ahead, go ahead. You want to say something? Okay. Much, much longer, you men. <laughs> much, much longer. Throughout our lifetime, we've been providing you with commercial free, non corporate progressive radio. And while this show is a news show where we seek a diversity of voices from across the political spectrum, we do that because we want you to hear both sides or all sides of an issue. And we appreciate our callers, even if Someone's calling in because they disagree with us. So if you care about New York and you care about this type of radio, if it means something to you that you make a point every day of listening to WBAI from the moment you wake up till the moment you go to sleep, well, then show us some love. Show us some support. In a few days, we have Valentine's Day. So that might be a day to show us some love, but we want you to do it today. Make a pledge and go to give two. And that's the number two. Give to WBAI.org and lend your support. And if you're wondering where this money goes to, it doesn't go to me. It doesn't go to Jeff. It goes to the station. We are, uh, for the large part, volunteers at this station. We give our time to WBAI because we care. We even also are donors. Uh, Jeff and I happen to be part of the BAI Buddy Program. I think you may have heard us uh, speak about it before. But that's a way where you can very, very easily set up a recurring donation where uh, it just gets uh, set up so that you have it come out every month, you know, set it and forget it type of thing. But you are supporting sustained free speech, independent, non-commercial radio, very different than other stations you might be listening to. If you are thinking about the BAI program, the BAI Buddy program, you can go to WBAI.org and check it out there. You can also consider giving to the Tower Fund. Remember, it does cost us $17,000 a month, $17,000 a month, just to pay the rent on our broadcast tower at four Times Square. That is not paid for by big business, big corporations, big pharma, big anything. It is all uh, it is all thanks to you, our listeners. Go to WBAI.org to give today. And also, one thing Celeste and I have been trying to do this year is we want to get you some what we call premiums. These are gifts you can get for giving a certain level of donation or more. So just a few weeks ago, if you tuned in here, we were joined by two of our city's better best, I'll say better, best reporters, Graham Raymond and Ruvane Blau. They talked about their new book, which, which had just come out by Penguin Random House called Rikers and Oral History. And we got five copies from them for our listeners. If you donate $50 or more in the name of this show, Driving Forces, you can get a copy of this amazing, amazing new book as a special thank you gift. Now, I know that at least one copy might have already been gotten, picked up by someone. So, Go now. Go to Give2. Again, that's the number two. Give2WBAI.org. You'll find the book when you go on the website, too. If you navigate the website to the, the premium section, you you can also call us. If you feel like talking with someone, call 212-209-2950. That's not the same as the listener line that you're going to call later in the show. This is the, the donation line. 212-209-2950. So we're going to take a short break now which makes it a great time again when we take this short break to go to give to WBAI.org and show your support. After the break, we're going to be right back for our interview with Danny Pearlstein. He's from the Rioters Alliance, and he's going to weigh in on what the MTA chair had to say about the state of our subways and its fiscal state. And uh, speaking of money, we're going to take a short break now and leave you with Barrett Strong's song called Money.
Start Strong Money here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. You know that song, you know Barrett Strong. Uh, You may know why we played that song today. That was Jeff's pick today, one of Motown's founding artists and one of its most gifted songwriters who worked on classics like the one you just heard, Money, but also I heard it through the grapevine, Papa Was a Rolling Stone, War. We lost Barrett Strong at the end of January at the age of 81. You're listening to WBAI in New York. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, and I'm here, as always, with Jeff Simmons. We will be taking your calls in just a bit, but first, we're going to go right to our next guest to hear what he had to say about uh, our talk just now with MTA Chairman and CEO Jana Lieber. Danny Perlstein is Policy and Communications Director at the advocacy organization Riders Alliance, which fights for reliable, affordable, world-class public transit. He started advocating for better transit in high school and developed a passion for politics while organizing neighborhood groups, city government, previously served as a staffer in the New York City Council. He was chief of staff to the Committee on Land Use Chair David Greenfield and counsel to Courts and Legal Services Chair Rory Lansman. Among his agenda items, this group advocates for six-minute service, which would run subways and most buses at least every six minutes every day of the week. So let's bring him on. And in just a little bit, we'll also be taking your calls. Danny Perlstein, welcome to WBAI. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And we gave a very brief thumbnail there. But if you want to take just a few moments to explain to people a little bit more about what you do at Riders Alliance and why. The Riders Alliance was founded 10 years ago to organize and amplify riders' voices for better, more reliable, more accountable public transit. And we organize across the city holding elected officials to account for improving the quality of the transit service we depend on. Danny, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm not, I'm hoping you had some time to be able to listen to what Jana Lieber said. I'm curious about your reaction, including what he said specifically, as much as he always wants people to say, you know, we need, we want more service, but six minute service is hard to achieve. I'm curious about your reaction to his comments on our show earlier. You know, when the chair testified to the, state legislature earlier in the week, he said that he would love to run more frequent service. And I think that is the commonality that we share. True six-minute service is something that would have to be phased in over time with some capital upgrades. But within a year, with significant funding, much more frequent service could roll out across the five boroughs on subways and buses and save valuable time in millions of people's lives. And what would it cost, Danny, to actually have six-minute service? Well, the estimates are between two and $300 million. So true six-minute service is closer to the upper end. But since we don't have the capital plant available yet to do that, for $200 million in the next state budget, we could see markedly improved off-peak weights, you know, going from 10, you know, 12, 15 minutes down to seven or eight minutes on many different lines. And do you do you guys see that as potentially being uh, underwritten or financed by a fare hike, or where does that money come from? Nobody's against faster train service, more frequent train service, but how do we pay for it? So there's a wide variety of funding sources that the state could bring to bear, and that's why it's so important. You know that the governor is involved here because the governor with the legislature can adopt pretty much whatever revenue measures they like. Um, you know, what the chair has, has outlined to the legislature is a funding proposal that keeps buses and trains running 
roughly as frequently as they are today, which in some cases is not frequently enough, and pulls money from a payroll tax. It pulls money from uh, city funds. It, it will leverage casino gambling revenue. But there are other sources of funds as well. You know, the state is running a multibillion-dollar budget surplus. The state last year suspended the gas tax for quite a bit of time, and it reimbursed the MTA for its portion, but the MTA only gets a third of the state gas tax, so that could be up to a half of the of the tax receipts downstate, and that would cover the cost of six-minute service. So there really are a number you of know what I'm very, the state can pull from. What I'm very, what I'm very curious about is, you know, when the governor released her budget, you know, Mayor Adams enjoys a relatively good relationship with Governor Hochul, but he was swift in his criticism, saying that the city should not have to be responsible for ponying up an additional five hundred million dollars. I'm curious. You know, how you feel about his reaction? Does the city bear a responsibility as well, or should this largely be uh, in the state, in the state's domain? Well, at the end of the day, it's the governor who controls the MTA and who drives the state budget process forward. But because it's a state, it does have the ability to draw on city coffers. And we've seen that time and again for things like the MTA capital program, for paratransit services. The city is now paying half. The state is asking the city to pay the whole thing and really if the state wants it, they can tell the city that it must pay the whole thing. At the end of the day, that's going to be up to a negotiation between the city and state. You know, for riders, what counts is that the money is green. Um, and the money is available to pay transit workers to operate and maintain the services that millions of people depend on every day. And, you know, how how that all shakes out is something that, um, you know, this, this, is, this is why we elect our leaders to, to figure out those details. So I want to just jump in on something. We're talking about six-minute service, and I had looked through the documents that you pointed uh, in my direction last night, and I think it would be really good for our listeners if you were able to just walk us through a bit of, you know, why six-minute service is needed. What type of impact would that have on communities in our city? Sure. Six-minute service would be transformative foremost for people who have long and challenging commutes with multiple transfers from some of the more affordable neighborhoods at the edges of the city, which are also places where people are more likely to have to commute to work in person, where people perform a lot of frontline jobs that the rest of us all depend on. And so six-minute service has a really transformative potential to bring transit equity to New York in a way that we haven't had it before. We have a really robust transit system here compared to anywhere else in the country, but it primarily is set up and serving office workers, primarily white-collar office workers, many of higher income, many, frankly, white, um, who have the option to work from home. And so there's a growing inequity here as more people can and do work from home. The folks who don't are often the folks with the worst commutes and the folks who would benefit the most from off-peak service in particular because a lot of service jobs are not nine-to-five jobs. They start very early in the morning or in the middle of the day and go to late at night, or they happen on the weekend when people wait 12 or 15 minutes maybe for a bus and two trains, that really adds up. That really takes the time out of people's lives, and it's a real drain. So there's a huge equity dimension to the policy. There's also an economic dimension, right, with more people having the option to just stay at home. Fewer people are are experiencing what the city has to offer, and so there's a real interest on the part of the city and the state and the folks who depend on economic development here to get people out. And having the affordable and efficient transit system that we know become more seamless and better than before it was the pandemic will play a big part in drawing people out and in tightening the city a little bit closer together after we've all spent a few years, you know, more atomized in our, in our individual neighborhoods. So there's a dimension to that that was picked up on, for example, by the governor's and mayor's new New York panel, 
of, you know, sort of civic organizations that came out um, in December, and they said, maintain rush hour service for the folks who need it and use it, but enhance the frequency of off-peak service to bring the city closer together, to bring better access to opportunity to every neighborhood. So those are the, those are the major reasons. Um, there's another real focus here on safety, right? There's been a big conversation about transit safety, and people report feeling less safe waiting for transit than riding it, so the shorter wait times will bring more people in and also cut waits for those who have to use it, reduce the amount of anxiety and frustration that some people feel. And that's why we've won the support of the Transport Workers Union, because they've been on the front lines of that, and some of it's been pretty ugly. And they believe that a, a more frequent service will be a calmer and more peaceful and more respectful transit service. And I think that's something we can all aspire to. The last piece of it that I'll, I'll touch on before we stop is um, the climate piece. Um, right now, you know, People last week were waiting in extreme cold for transit service. You know, increasingly for many months of the year, we're waiting in extreme heat. And we're waiting for trains and buses that are themselves air-conditioned um, and heated. And so the shorter the wait, the more quickly people get into a climate-controlled space and the safer that is. So there's, there's a real climate adaptation dimension to this. And there's, of course, the climate mitigation dimension to this because plenty of people are traveling by cars. There are as many cars back on the road, more cars back on the road than there were before the pandemic while transit ridership is much lower than it was. And so transit needs to be better than before to compete with other ways of getting around, to draw more people in, and to draw people into the most efficient means we have of getting around New York. And so there's a there's a way in which better transit will help us meet our emission reduction mandates that are also enshrined in state law, you know, and that, and that are really important targets that we meet. You know, I think it's 40 percent by 2030, it's 85% emissions reduction by 2050. We have to meet those targets. Mass Transit is going to play a big part in that. And the State Climate Action Council acknowledged that, saying we need to improve transit service to cut the vehicle miles traveled by New Yorkers. We're talking to Danny Perlstein from the Riders Alliance. And Danny, wanted to ask you about, since we were just talking about uh, safety issues, we did ask the chairman about safety and the perception of safety uh, in the transit system. I was wondering what you thought about the governor's proposal to ban some people from being able to ride on the subways at all based on some prior involvement they had with the criminal justice system. You know, frankly, those bans are impractical. And, uh, you know, whatever people think of this, uh, the subway is, is a core public space and people do need to get around. So we think rather than, than, than focus on, on distractions like that, you know, bringing more people into the system, encouraging people to use it as much as we can by running the service as frequently as possible is the way to reduce safety concerns across the board and have a transit system that is as welcoming and inclusive as New York should be. And did you agree with the chairman that there is a greater perception among riders, among the public, that the trains are better now, that it's it's safer to be in the transit system? You know, a lot of that tracks the election season. We've had a few back-to-back election seasons where people have really used transit safety to make the argument in, in favor of, of their being elected to office. And so when that happens and, and it, it's at a fever pitch, people report feeling less safe because they're hearing a lot more about transit safety. And so it, it really does track that more than anything else. Um, several million people are riding the subway every day. It's overwhelmingly without incident, but we want everyone to feel safe and welcome in the subway and frequent service is a big piece of that. So Danny, I'm going to put you on the spot here and there's no wrong answer. There's only, is a good okay. right answer though, which is I should have asked you if you'd like to stay on the line for our listener calls because we're opening up the phone lines now. So if you don't have to go, we'd love for you to stay on for about another 10 minutes with us. Are you available sure, to do that? Of 
Yeah, absolutely. Great. Okay. So if you're listening, we've got Danny Perlstein here from the Riders Alliance. Give us a call. If you tried to call earlier and couldn't get the chairman, you can now call us. Those phone lines are open. 212-209-2877. Once again, that's 212-209-2877. We were just talking about safety. We're talking about the budget. You know, it, it's interesting because I had mentioned earlier, Danny, that my perception has been I've seen more police on the subway. I've seen actually some positive interactions with people who've been on the subway who are camping out where the police have interacted with them. And frankly, it could also be that there's a crowd of people there at that moment. So there, everyone is on their best behavior. But, you know, what's been your perception when you step onto the subways or the buses recently? Are you seeing visible changes or is it too soon for us to see them? You know, over the past year, we've certainly seen a lot of police. We've seen a lot of people living in the subway as a last resort. You know, we've seen people with mental health challenges. And really, you know, it's about the investments in health care and in housing. We can't just ask police to solve all of our problems. If they could have, they would have. And so it's some of these longer-term investments that are really important um, because, you know, everything that happens in the subway is, you know, under a microscope, and it does play in the news all across the country. People are acutely aware all over the United States and abroad of subway crime, of subway homelessness. And so it it's really gets magnified. It gets sensationalized. But ultimately, we need the compassionate and pragmatic investments Never knows what they are in addressing these problems, you know, in a lasting way. If you just tuned in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. We're talking with Danny Perlstein from the Riders Alliance about the MTA and the state of our subways and buses. And we haven't really talked about buses as much as subways. One of the things I'm curious about your reaction. I had actually a strong reaction. Oh, by the way, the number to call, 212-209-2877. Once again, 212-209-2877. I had a strong reaction, when, Danny, when I had heard about the proposal to ban people considered dangerous from mass transit, people who might have been convicted of assault or unlawful sexual conduct. conduct, conduct. What was your reaction when you heard about this proposal? This has been going on for a few years now. There is ban legislation already that took effect a few years back um, that was uh, brought originally by Governor Cuomo. And so it's it's back again, I think, in an expanded way, you know, in the current budget proposal. And, you know, it, it smacks of pandering, right? This this is not something that is, is going to impact many people in, in a significant way. And it it's distracting, I think, a lot of the times from the, the endemic issues in the subway, like the fact that, there is a lot of untreated mental illness, like the fact that, that thousands of New Yorkers have no place to live. Um, and it, it, I think, is a distraction from the issues of accountability that, that come up in that context. And it says, let's, let's blame the people we're angry at for our social problems when, in fact, that never works. And it's, it's not that we're not angry. It's that we need to seek better solutions and we need to make lasting investments in solving serious problems. We're going to go to the phones. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. This is Driving Forces on WBAI. Our first caller is on the line. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yes, this is my Adam uh, Cove. Uh, greetings to the beloved community. First, a correction. 
and clarification. It is not that people are not calling as soon as you ask them to call. It is that you can call 10, 12 times and press the redial button and you don't even get a ring. So we must fix the phones at WBAI. We are but struggling question, with the strains of our own popularity, but thank you for that constructive criticism. And what's your question for Danny yes, Pearlstein from uh, the Writers' Alliance? And, and, and I would have loved to have talked to the uh, our new chairman, but maybe you can bring him back and we can talk to him directly. But my question to Danny is concerning the deplorable situation, and I, I do this also as an advocate and um uh, 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 paratransit, I mean, I'm in touch with the president, uh, Chris Pagalini, and instead of getting a response to an email for a month's problem, I'm being told that there's a letter to be waited in the mail. But are you aware, and I'd like to be able to be in touch with you, the problems of, uh, just to give one brief example, there's a car broker, a car service broker, CTD, and they have two other names. I, I call them the wannabe Russian oligarchs, incompetent, corrupt. Uh, many of the drivers don't speak English, so out of four trips, half of them don't even take place. And it's just you go months and months trying to resolve. So the question, Danny, is how to get in touch with you. So we can work with you to, to solve these, these problems with um, Accessoride. And also, have you researched and look into the myriad problems? Because people want to even be, have it more like a... Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so thank you so much for your call. We're gonna we're gonna thank let you. we're gonna let Danny answer the question now. Thank you so much, Danny. Go ahead. Sure, th and thank you so much uh, for that call. And Accessor Ride is is a lifeline for a lot of people, but it's it's really a struggle, and it's why it's informally known as Stress a Ride. And it, there there has to be a better solution than, than the one we have today, which which well over a hundred thousand people rely on, but it's chronically unreliable, and so. You know, we work with a lot of accessibility advocates. There are a lot of wonderful organizations throughout the city. Thirteen of them signed a letter to the governor yesterday, actually, demanding more frequent service, which is which is a piece of the puzzle. Um, but ultimately, the caller is right that there needs to be a new model for Accessoride, and that is something that we have a lot of partner organizations with a lot of expertise working on all the time, um, and many of them are, you know, regulars at the MTA board meeting, and they're on, you know, stakeholder panels, and they work with Chris Pangolin, and like she's saying, you know, to – improve the service, but it is, it's a process. It's a struggle. And, and, you know, we're certainly a part of that. Um, and I, I recommend anyone who wants to reach out to us, certainly to go to our website, ridersalliance.org and uh, click through and, and reach out and connect. We're going to get to one more call. I think we have time for one more. Uh, you're on the air. Welcome to WBAI. What is your name and what's on your mind today? What question do you have for Danny Perlstein? Uh, uh, good evening, Roger New Milford. Um, I've got a source of funding uh, that's fairly easy. It's just a question of priorities. Why don't we take uh, one fraction of the money that we're spending on the proxy war in Ukraine and support working and middle-class people? This is, this is really outrageous. Secondly, I don't know if you saw Cy Hirsch's article on the destruction of Nord Stream 2, the most greenhouse gases, the most destructive environmental thing going on, and we basically we blew the thing up. Again, a question of priorities, guys. Where's the money going? Hey, thanks for your call. Really appreciate it. Uh, Danny, do you think we're spending too much money on Ukraine and not enough on the MTA? 
I think that was you the know, question. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the foreign policy out of it um, because, you know, that's not our, not my expertise. But what I will say is that many countries get more federal support for public transit than we do in the United States. And we have an issue here, which is that New York is by far the largest public transit operator. And, and we know around the country, New York isn't always the most popular place. And New Yorkers are not the most popular people. Uh, with folks in Washington. And so while during the pandemic we had an unprecedented amount of federal support to keep trains and buses running, that burden has now shifted squarely back to the state. And that's one reason why we're running our campaign and and aiming at Governor Hochul and and asking her to step up and, and fund not just the lifeline service we have today, but a better service than we've had before is because we don't have that sustained federal partnership that that New Yorkers deserve, frankly. And so, you know, there is a much larger conversation that the caller tapped into about domestic spending and public transit is a big piece of that. We do not have the public services, frankly, that most other wealthy countries have. And, and that's because of decisions that have been made at the federal level. Danny Pearlstein, we really appreciate you joining us today and giving us your take on what the MTA chairman had to say and, and taking calls. We wish we had time for more calls. But in the meantime, if people want to find out more about the Riders Alliance, where can they look? Uh, please uh, check us out on social media at Riders Alliance, Riders Alliance on Facebook, and also at our website, ridersalliance.org, R-I-D-E-R-S-A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E.org. Danny Pearlstein of the Riders Alliance. Thanks so much for being with us on Driving Forces today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. So we're getting ready to wind it up for today. We want to give you one more very quick reminder that WBAI can only bring you guests from the world of politics, public policy, culture, music, the arts, and more. With your help, please take a moment today. Support the station by going to WBAI.org and making a pledge to the Tower Fund or to the BAI Buddies Program. You can do it right in the name of the show. You can also call in your donation, 212-209-287, excuse me, 212-209-2950, 2092950. If you donate $50 or more, you can get this wonderful, wonderful brand new book, Rikers and Oral History, by two of our recent guests, Graham Raymond and Ruvane Blau, and their publisher, Penguin Random House. Again, that's through the BAI Buddies program. Go to WBAI.org or call 212 209 2950. Jeff, what do we have on tap coming up? So I mentioned this early in the show when I started talking about that astounding report by the Associated Press about how many missing kids there are out of our school systems across the country. That's going to be one of the topics that comes up this Sunday morning on WBAI City Watch at a new earlier time at 8 a.m. I'll be diving into education issues, the state of our schools, where all those missing kids have gone to, and much, much more with my first guest, Schools Chancellor David Banks. He also will be taking some listener calls. And then batting cleanup on the show is our friend, Amy Zimmer, the New York Bureau Chief of the education media outlet Chalkbeat New York, who's been with Celeste and I here on the show before. She'll weigh in uh, in on the pressing issues that Chalkbeat New York has been covering, and she'll react to what the chancellor has to say earlier in the show. I want to thank you for tuning in to today's issue uh, edition, excuse me, of Driving Forces and our guests, MTA Chair and CEO Jana Lieber, and then Danny Perlstein of the Riders Alliance. Celeste and I will be back with you next week at this time. Remember, 
We upload every edition of the program to SoundCloud and Apple and Stitcher so you can subscribe and never miss a show. Please don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Facebook too. And Celeste, because I'm not going to basically hear your lovely voice until next Thursday again, I want to wish you a happy Valentine's Day next Tuesday. I will miss you and uh, hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. For anyone who just tuned in, thanks again. Stay with WBAI. You've got some great programming coming up. Have a great night. 